Hello and welcome to the Cafe Hustle podcast with me, Andy Jones. And to this, a recap episode, looking back at one of our very first, well, it was our first episode with Lydia of Popopopolis Snape, who is talking all about her team culture. Now, for the last two and a half years, I have managed to avoid any COVID outbreak, but this time, or recently, it's got me in and hence this is why we are doing this recap episode. So what I wanted to do, the idea was, is to bring you some of the really big ideas and big episodes where there was huge value in them. That So rather than missing episodes in in our run of doing three a week on the Cafe Hustle podcast, I wanted to bring you and highlight the, the episodes that are really, really make a difference and can make a difference to you in your business so really what I want you to do today in this episode is to is to listen to what Lydia is saying make a note of what the little pointers that she she drops in this episode and start applying them in your business because we need to now certainly from a team culture point of view we need to start looking after all our people to the best of our ability because we can't really afford to to lose them so this is the like i say it's a recap episode and i wanted to do this rather than to miss giving you that value i just wanted to really highlight again the value that comes from or came from this episode when it first aired right at the very beginning i appreciate there's probably new listeners now that may not have have caught this episode but one thing I really do want you to do today is drop me an email to andy at thecafehustle.com and give me your top two questions you have surrounding team leadership or developing people in your business. Because we're looking at launching our workshops in the coming months, but I'm also got an online leadership course in the making, as well as I'm actually now opening up to, to coaching some clients in the very near future. So, and that'll be very much around leadership and systems and generally putting your business in the best place it can be to serve your customers. So drop me those those questions because I really want to open it up to a, a Q&A potentially. We'll do a live session on that at some point in the next few weeks once I've got over the, this COVID, which has been the bane of everyone's life. But anyway, without further ado, let's jump into this episode. We'll get straight into it today. And listen, get those notepads out because you really need to take note of what Lydia says. So hello, Lydia. First of all, I want to just say how excited I am about chatting with you. I think since we started our email exchange, you could just tell your passion is is huge for what you do. So let's start off with just a quick, what is your one thing that keeps you motivated? What keeps you going? Okay. Can I have two? You can have two. Because <laughs> it kind of depends on the context, because I've kind of broken it down into... Um, Two things. One, if we're talking about team culture, I'm always internally saying to myself, your vibe attracts your tribe. And I'm really, really conscious of how I'm coming across and how my energy comes across and psyching myself up really for leading the team and, and getting them going. And then the other one is um, for any time where I'm about to embark on something that maybe scares me a little bit, and there's been plenty, anything that I feel slightly anxious about, and to psych myself up, I'm always saying no guts, no glory. You know, if you don't do something that scares you, if you don't go for it, there's going to be no rewards. You know, it doesn't come easily, does it? And so those are the two things that I'm saying to myself on the regular. And by the way, the general manager of White Street Kitchen yesterday was mocking me for my inspirational quotes. So this is something that I'm kind of a little bit renowned for. <laughs> It is, and, and and I love both of them because the vibe attracts your tribe. 
it's amazing how much your energy can rub off on on the whole team. And even one of the things that we always tried to do is if, if one person was getting flustered or got in the weeds, it can drag everyone else down. And it is amazing how much your energy rubs off on other people. Totally. And the same and with... I was just going to say, like, I, it's for me, it's like, if I wouldn't want to work with me, then why does anybody else want to work with me, you know? And like you say, it, it can go from just someone being a bit flustered, but it could also be like the bad apple analogy and um, having to address that. And culture starts at the top. It does, no matter what, you know, whether you're going to be a super involved operator or whether you're going to be a more distant operator, your appearances still have to embody the business that you want to run or it's well you're not even going to have culture in the first instance in my humble opinion yeah it is it's but and as well the no guts no glory it's the more people i chat to it's across everyone everyone who is an owner or operator it is the same for everyone else it's all about you've got to take those risks and it's scary starting out is a big leap for sure and i think um it's important then in that scenario to surround yourself with people who are also willing to do things that scare them a little bit because, um, my, my business partner, the exec chef of the business, George, like somebody asked me recently, why do you think you work so well together? And I'd never really thought about it before. I'd kind of taken it for granted, I think. And I, I thought about it for a long time. I was like, actually, I think it's just the fact that we're both quite willing to do things that scare us, um, rather than one person, being like, oh, I don't know about that, you know, being, it could go horrifically wrong. It could all end in flames because nobody's being like super precautious. I'm probably the more precautious out of the two of us. Um, But yeah, it is scary. And finding a way to um, attack that yourself, whether that's internally or who you surround yourself with, that's that's it. Yeah. And I know we're going to talk a bit more about surrounding yourself with different books sorting out who you surround yourself with later but let's touch on your backstory how did you get into the industry what was your path through so I mean this is super varied so I'm gonna try and give you the like (laughs) whistle stop tour but um I ultimately I'm a and I'll say this proudly I'm a failed musician like growing up that was what I wanted to do and everything went into that um all education and relationships all just like fell by the wayside and I mean, ultimately it didn't work out and that's cool. I'm really cool with it now, but at the time I wasn't and I came crashing down and it left some really big holes in my life. You know, it left the whole of passion. It left the whole of the family that I developed from being in a band and touring with them. Um, And coming out of that and that having not worked out, I went and got quote unquote, a real job because, um, I was, you know, sick of not having any money. Everyone knows failed musicians don't make any money. Um, so I went and worked in recruitment for a year, which I hated. Um, and so that then was like a moment for me where I was like, I need to quit. I need to get out of this. This is toxic. This I'm not proud of myself right now and who it's turning me into. So I quit and I didn't have a job to go to. And ended up back in hospitality. Obviously it always been there in the background through being a musician and stuff because the shift work and the patterns always lent itself to being able to fit around that. But I ended up back washing up part-time at the weekends in a cafe. And then I'll just, I'll just fast forward the next four years really, because there was, there was a Eureka moment where I was like, nah, I'm built for this. 
you know, and there's, there's no shame in that. It's a true skill and something that we don't shout about enough to be able to see the day for what it is, to be able to ride the wave of whatever the day throws at you. There's actually a quote there from um, Danny Meyer, who owns Union Square Hospitality, and he owned Run Shake Shack and stuff like that. And he compares hospitality to surfing. And he's like, the customers are the water, the wave. You can't control them. All you can do is learn to ride it better. And that innate ability to do that is something that we don't nurture enough. So I had to rewind it back, kind of recognize that about myself. Like I was built for this and then worked in hospitality then for the next sort of four years, working my way up. And then it was time to do me, do my own thing. Um, And yeah, started looking for premises, started putting business plans together and deciding what what I wanted that business to look like. And I think you're right. It's, it, people in hospitality there are people who are drawn to it aren't they and I think a lot of people view it as oh it's a job for students and and but there's real it is really an industry that's made for some people isn't it for sure like it is it's seen as a stopgap and that's cool I just said like I treated it myself like that for many years but and maybe it's maybe it's the pay I, I I'm not there's a whole other conversation there to be had about why it is that we don't really see this as a true skill. You know, some of the chefs and baristas I work with are some of the most talented people I've met in my life, but we still see this as um, an unskilled thing. Um, so yeah, it is. it can be seen as a stopgap, but something that I take great, great pride in is recognizing that innate ability and then saying to people, you're really good at this. Do you want to take it seriously? Because if you do, let's do this. Like, I'm down. Let's go. And that's it. And it's brilliant that you've got, as owners, you have to identify the people that can add that sort of value to, to our, our businesses as well. So today, obviously, we're talking about staff culture. You have now got, you've got two premises. Is that correct still? You, you, you're opening a, a third? Yep, that's it. We've got Warwick Street Kitchen in Leamington. We've got Saint Kitchen in Birmingham. And then, yeah, we're we're working on third at the moment. Yeah. And it's a, a what a time to be doing it. Eh? It's going to be. Yeah, I think we, we were very fortunate that our community really got behind us during the pandemic. And we turned it around very quickly. We realized that this isn't going to be a really quick thing. It's not going to be open and it's not going to be over in three weeks so we need to reassess we need to change up the business model we need to we've got the food we've got the coffee we've got the things that people need we just need to figure out how to get it to them so when we reached out to the community and said hey we're doing xyz they really got behind us and thank our lucky stars for that every day because it has really it kept us on the trajectory and the path towards expanding and carrying on yeah so staff culture talk us through your philosophy what is your approach to developing what is essentially a feel from certainly from a staff point of view within your business for me it's that the understanding that people are the heart of what we do you know you have nothing without your people so genuine care and support and love is needed and to put it even more simply people over profit 
if you put your people ahead of profit, then it's going to come back around for full circle and they are going to supply the profit. They're invested. They're going to care because you cared first. And I have have a lot of examples about this, about this in action. And um, our flagship cafe in Leamington is a 160-year-old building and she breaks and she's got her quirks and all sorts of things go wrong. And we've been seriously flooded maybe four or five times it's crazy like um and the first time the kitchen was condemned like we weren't allowed to use it anymore literally tape across the door you cannot make food here and I sat in front of a team of chefs and I was like guys you you can't use your kitchen and I've worked with people who'd be like okay shut up shop let's close and for the foreseeable until it gets sorted but literally one of them just said to me well it was getting a bit easy wasn't it (laughs) and like and just made a joke of it and we just brought a section upstairs and figured out a cold menu that didn't require any cooking and they prepped this menu for like six weeks in the end just stood in front of customers chatting to customers and that that care of you know how many people like I said could just say oh well we can't do anything then boss sorry but actually it was like no what can we do together how can we pull together to keep this business alive and as a as an owner, you can't put a value on having people like that, can you? Not at all. And I wouldn't dare. And I think it sounds really simple to say, put people first, but the energy that goes into that and genuinely investing in the people that you work with is really underrated. You know, that I, and like I said, again, it's about self-talk and self-realization about the way that you're leading that. Yeah. I cut you off before. Was there something else you wanted to I was probably say? just going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> So if someone's looking to develop a, a, or or assess their company culture or reintroduce or change it, what, what steps would they need to take? What, What are your fundamental elements of what makes up your staff culture? I think that it has to start right at the beginning and it's all about the hire in my opinion. So The experience on a CV is great for sure. And that's more important when it comes to management roles and things like that. But it's so much more about the person and that they share your core values. So if you said then, if somebody's trying to reassess or maybe restart a culture from scratch, I would, I would almost say, sit there and think and write down your values, your core values, because they might not be the same as mine or, or anybody else's, but writing them down and being aware of what's important to you and then factoring that into the hiring process. I mean, but an example of somebody with no experience, we've got a guy called Thomas who works in the kitchen at Warwick Street Kitchen and he had never worked in a kitchen before, but he just loved cooking and was really passionate about that. And he reached out to us in the most compelling way that I've ever seen. It was, it was an email, but it was just the most beautiful email ever. And we were like, damn, we need to meet this guy. And then we met him and he's just fantastic. His energy is incredible. And if we just looked at his CV and then just said, no, he hasn't worked in a kitchen before. This guy's now going to go be our sous chef at the third site. So, you know, it's, it's a lesson in values over experience. And then I think as well, (laughs) Things like there are a lot of cliches in business, like, you know, leave your troubles at the door or separate, separate your work from, from your private life. But you'll never hear us say that. If anything, we'll say never leave your troubles at the door. If you want to talk about it, talk about it. If you don't, that's fine. You don't force it on anybody. But 
at the very least, having your team be aware that there's something going on in your life will really help everybody else pick up the slack. It will create a nice, safe place, a nice caring environment for everybody. And then circling back to sort of right from the beginning, equally, there's a big importance in recognizing when when you've made a mistake hiring as well um, and not kind of clinging on to somebody who maybe is that bad apple. And I, and I don't mean we give up on people really quickly. We don't, we have processes. We fact find first, you know, what else is going on? What else do we need to know? How can we help you? Can we help you develop? But also just don't flog a dead horse, so to speak. If somebody doesn't fit the culture, then you've got to let go for sure. So your hiring process, what, what do you do? How do you, I I imagine you're doing an element of sort of sifting through trying to suss out what the per- someone's personality is like so describe that process to us for sure i mean we're super picky is number 1 and the interview process is something that we don't wing it it's probably one of the most structured parts of the business to be honest because of how important it is um and the number one rule for us really is don't hire out of desperation as well, because it always backfires. But there are key things that we look for in the interview. And the first one is what do they know about us? Because um, we're really visible on social media. A lot of people are. We've got facts on the website about when we opened. And and if if a candidate hasn't been, hasn't gone to the trouble of just going to find out a few things about you, why have they even applied? We could be anyone. We could be horrible. And that's a real red flag for me and it's the first question that we ask people and I've been known to end the interview there I don't think any because it's not just me that interviews I don't think anybody else has but I have said to them like feel free to just politely say thanks but no thanks you know and then another thing we look for is the the attitude to old employers or previous places that they've worked because everyone's had unpleasant experiences, but how a person communicates that I think says a lot about them. Does it turn into like a full on bitching session or is it communicated with diplomacy? And that's got a lot. It says a lot about somebody's general vibe. We also ask people um, what motivates them as in, why do you feel the need to do a great job when just doing the bare minimum will do? And I'm I'm always looking for the person that can't really describe it. Because it takes a lot of self-awareness to really know what motivates you. But if you're saying something like, you know what, I don't know. It's just something inside of me. It's innate. I just, I just want to do well. I want the customers to enjoy it. There's pride. And I'm like, yeah, you're the one. You you get it, you know. Um, but yeah, like I said, the main message there is identifying the core values of the business they they're not going to be the same things but then asking questions to help you find out if this person shares those values to help you identify the interview serves such a massive purpose they could easily be missed if you're just asking like oh tell me about your last role and what were your main responsibilities that kind of thing i'm i am massive on mission vision and values and i think in our industry generally it's not held as something that's going to be is is great tool for guiding people and i think with if if we can encourage more people to go down the route of value based in this case hiring i think a lot of people would see a huge difference in the quality of their recruitment so how do you pick into 
un- or how do you understand what the values of an individual are and whether they align with the business? What what questions do you ask? What is it is it a case of being intuitive and picking up on on body language when you're asking the question, or are you looking for specific things that people are telling you? So out of all those, out of the questions that we've that we've asked, and I mentioned a few of them just then, I have written the perfect answer, so to speak. And that's not to say that if you don't give the perfect answer, you don't get the job, but it's to give it's to give us an idea of if if they were 100 percent on board with our values, this is what they'd be saying. And sometimes people just say it word for word and you're just like, oh my God, where have you been all my life? Um, and sometimes they're skirting around it or sometimes they say something else that you've never, you've never heard, you've never thought of. And that can become part of the process. But then after the interview as well, there's a second stage where then we hand over to the team. So, okay, you've passed, you've passed the manager test, you've passed the Lydia test, whoever it is that's interviewed you, you're going to come in for a trial shift now. And I know a lot of people do trial shifts and they're great because they function both ways. The other person, you know, the, the person who wants the job gets to see how you work as well, works both ways. Yeah. But also we get to see you in action. Is your dynamic going to work with the team? Are you asking intuitive questions? Do you really care? And then the whole team has, it gets the sign off really. And we do really listen. Um, and then th- there are other things as well, like if somebody doesn't say goodbye to everyone at the end of their trial shift, just little things like that, that just seems so small, but it's so important to culture. I always say it takes me like 15, 20 minutes to leave one of the shops. Cause I'm like going around chatting to everyone, what you're doing tonight, that kind of thing. And if they can just grab their coat and leg it, you're like, Oh, that's not quite right. Is it, you know, and there, there are people that stick around and have a coffee afterwards or, um, our head baker, Phil, famously stayed and like bought lunch and tried some of the menu. We were like, yes, this guy. Um, so, you know, there are, there are things that you will identify and realize are absolute like deal breakers. Now, it's one thing going through an interview process and a trial shift, but and you can only identify so much from that stage. What? How do you deal with once you bring someone into the business, into one of your cafes, the interpersonal relationships with the rest of the team. Do you get feedback from your team members? Is it something that could be a barrier at that point to hiring people? Uh, Well, I mean, the trial shift really helps you with that, identify that. Now, I wouldn't expect everyone to be like besties, not straight away anyway. I mean, the teams are actually very close, which is a beautiful thing. And I think if you've really considered dynamic a lot from the beginning, it's something that will naturally happen. But I I don't check in with each and every single team member individually. Well, I do on a, on a casual basis. Like when I go in, I'm like, hey, how are you? How's your sister? Your cat went to the vets last week. How was that? That kind of thing. But yeah. like formal check-ins I do with managers and it's very much part of their job description to be pastorally caring for their team and managing that dynamic. So I'm I'm formally checking in on the culture with managers and it's they very much know it's part of the expectation for them to be managing that. And what about if you do come up against an issue? How do you deal with it? Or how do your managers deal with it? I mean, for me personally, I tr- I really try and encourage them to deal with it themselves if it's just a personal thing. Yeah. And I feel like I know people well enough that I can advise like, well, this person needs this kind of treatment or maybe try speaking to them like this or something like that. If they want my advice, 
Some yeah. people are very, very confident going into a situation like that and asserting themselves. Some people aren't. If I need to mediate, I absolutely will. I mean, when was the last time this happened? <laughs> I've given I've given advice recently on like, you know, we've butted heads on something. How should we react? And then they go away and they deal with it because ultimately they really respect each other. Because the culture's so good and everybody's work ethic is so good, they respect each other. You know, so it's not yeah. like, oh, you're lazy and I hate you. It's it's just a misunderstanding. And when they come together and they talk and realize both sides of the equation, it, it sorts itself out nine times out of ten. Yeah. It's good to have that ability in a team for them to sort it out. Because the last thing you need is is everyone coming to you to sort out their problems when by them sorting it out themselves. And it, and it shows that the team relationships within the team are good enough when that sort of thing happens so <clears throat> turn around now in terms of decision making for you as an owner in a business what level of communication do you have with your team as a whole when it comes to big decisions say do you include all of the team or is it again just your management team and then that filters down i mean i would say all of them in that we listen to everyone because if I mean so the key players the managers absolutely every single time but I'll still go around and casually ask everybody things because if you again if you've hired really well you've effectively hired from your community so you've hired people that are potential customers so why wouldn't you try and tap into that you know, we've we've got a team of people who come in on their days off and they'll eat their lunch there or drop in for a coffee. So they are genuinely customers. So you've got this amazing ability to just pop over and ask them what they think about something and get an insight into your community. On a more formal basis with the managers, I'm talking to them all the time. I mentioned that like my, my day one hire was Warwickshire Kitchen's head chef, George. That relationship has transcended the employer employee quote unquote thing to the point where it always makes me feel a bit uncomfortable calling an an employee um he's now my business partner and executive chef for the whole business as a whole so he gets a phone call for every decision or we meet or vice versa you know even a sounding board somebody that you can go to for advice about stuff and there's still there's still a level of respect for, look, your area of expertise is the kitchen. My area of expertise is front of house. Um, you know, I, I might offer an opinion and if he disagrees, I'll be like, you know what? Your kitchen, roll with it. Like, it's absolutely not, <laughs> not my area, dude. Um, and then, but that digging a little bit deeper, I think goes to show that we've built a business around the people rather than the other way around. So we've identified key team players that we want on board and we've bent us to fit them. Like I mentioned Phil, the head baker. He used to be a head chef, but he just is an incredible baker, an incredible pastry chef. And if we just pigeonholed him and kept him in that head chef role, I think we would have lost him. He would have gone and got fulfilled somewhere else. And the head chef down at Saint Kitchen Again, he doesn't have any formal pastry training, but we'd come in, he's just like smashed out these croissants and we're like, hey, I'm like, that's so good. And we've taken those two guys and we're now taking them to this new venture that's going to be a wholesale bakery. And that's an example of, if if you'd asked me five years ago, I never would have said we'd be looking at running a wholesale bakery, but we've met people along the way that are so good and are so ingrained in the culture. And we just want to hang out with them. We just want to be around them. So 
we've bent the business model based on their skills and who we want around. Because like I said, otherwise they're going to go get fulfilled somewhere else. Yeah. And it's very clear you are, you trust in their vision or their viewpoint and their opinion. Is that something you've got across all of your employees or is it something that you are, is particularly strong with George and the other two? Oh, I mean, I hope it's across everybody. I really do. I mean, like managers, assistant managers, head chefs, sous chefs, it's their baby too. And there's a real strong sense of that. Um, You can even tell that from how involved they are in things like social media or solving problems themselves, just little things that you don't think are super culture related. But I, if you get to know your team really well, you understand what gets them going and you understand their area, their areas of expertise. So, okay, I might not go to, you know, the general manager down at Saint about a menu change, but I'll go to her about something else that I know she's an expert about. So hopefully they, they see that we'd have to ask them. Yeah. <laughs> so now you, you've got two premises, you're going into a third. I want to talk about processes systems because it's another one of the big things that I'm passionate about because I know how much it helped me Hmm. certainly to get the business almost operating on its own what do you have in place certainly from a culture point of view initially what do you have in place that helps to maintain staff feel across the business I mean, the first one is, I mentioned it earlier, that the the interview process is one of the most structured parts of the business because I put so much um, importance on getting culture ingrained from that early point of view. Um, If you hire really well, then the rest is taken care of, I think, or a lot of it is taken care of. And But then digging in deeper to that, if I haven't personally interviewed or hired them, which is happening more these days, then I make sure that I personally meet them really early on and start that relationship and start getting to know them and whatever else happens however big we get however much of the world we take over I really feel very strongly that that can't suffer if culture is as important to us as I say it is then we have to find time for that if you've got a massive long list of things to do and something's got to give and on the bottom of the list you've got go and meet new front of house team member at Saint Kitchen that just can't be the thing that gets crossed off or your culture is going to start to crumble we have regular check-ins and meetings with team members now this is something that I've kind of done full circle with because coming out of recruitment that was super corporate I was really like ugh, no I hate this really structured meeting and people are going to tell you if they want to talk to you about something or you're going to notice and then actually I've come full circle and realize that now we we need to be regularly checking in with people and outside of service sat down giving them your one-to-one time the meeting itself isn't super structured because I don't think that one size fits all I don't think you could sit down with a washing up person that just works weekends and set them three smart goals you know it's just not practical to their life and what they need but saying hey I see you here's your time to speak to me you know what do you need to talk about is really important. So in terms of process for that, it is that I then train managers to um, to hold those meetings, how to get information out of people, work with a lot of people who haven't managed people before and get a bit nervous about this in particular. So really, because I think people worry that they have to know everything, that 
somebody's going to sit down in front of you, throw something at you, and you you need to be the all-seeing hospitality god that knows everything. And actually, I just I just encourage them. The main part of the training is about being honest, because people are the unknown entity that you cannot predict, and they will sit down in front of you and they'll say something that you have no idea how to deal with. And it's okay just to say, you know, I honestly don't know how to deal with this, but I want to find out everything I can about it. Go away and think about it because you deserve some help with this or or whatever. And then they can call me or they can call George and, and we can go through it together or that kind of thing. So a lot of training and thought goes into helping managers um, maintain the culture. Yeah. And from a more um, casual point of view with that, we have uh, things like menu cook-offs for every seasonal menu change. And the reason I list that under embodying culture is that hospitality, we talk about how beautiful it is for people to, you know, come around a table and share food together, break bread, chat and that kind of thing. And yeah, okay, the cook-off's great because we make everything on site and we want people to be able to talk about the menu. But also it gives us a chance to all get together, eat together and have that experience that we so rarely get together. You know, we have team nights out and that's a really important, I mean, you could put the word process on it. You know, it is a really important part of the budget that people get rewarded and we get to celebrate together. But, you know, the pandemic kissed goodbye to that for like two yeah. years. So <laughs> you've, you've got to find other ways, haven't you? Yeah. So your process of setting up that sink kitchen, which was your second premise, am I right? Yeah. yeah. The setup of that, did you, was it someone who was working at Warwick Street? Did they go across to help you set it up? What was your, where was the continuity between the two businesses? I mean, it was me and George, very much so, um, because Warwick Street Kitchen was in a place where we had a really, really solid team that could run the place operationally day to day. So we got to go over and start again from scratch. Uh, we did end up taking the sous chef from there over to become the head chef. Um, and, but other than little bits of like shift cover help, it was, it was George and I sort of setting up with all the lessons that we'd learned over at Water Street Kitchen. Yeah. And you recruited, was it you two that recruited that? So business? actually we, the business already existed. We'd bought an existing business. So we had some team members from that, yeah. uh, which was really cool. Actually, I mean, two years later, we just had one of them leave. So we managed to keep like quite a lot of them, you know, um, and then, but yeah, we've recruited as we've gone and yeah, it's been George and I. So I know we spoke obviously by email before this and there's three key tips you want to get across to our audience. The first one being be the customer. Let us know what, what do you mean by that? I think that customers can sense if the brand isn't genuine. That's what I mean by that. So there's a lot of power in building a cafe that you yourself want to sit in. Don't try and be anybody else. Don't try and do anybody else. Just do you. Trust your gut. If you believe the product is good and passionately get behind it, then that authenticity is going to shine through and your customers will see that. And in terms of, say, your social media, how do you do you portray the genuine brand image through that? How do you go about tying that in, your experience in the premises itself, with your social media presence? Uh, I make it the team's responsibility to manage it day to day. You know, I always say things like Instagram stories, that's a snapshot insight into what we've got going on in the cafe each day. So I do give them general guidelines and training around what you can and can't say and like, you know, setups for pictures and composition and things like that. But other than that, I do 
really encourage people to be themselves with it and put a bit of personality on it. Um, the main grid is something that I still personally manage myself um, just to keep continuity of like of it looking nice and um, yeah. together. But again, there's always input from people and I always try and make sure that people feature on the main grid. Some some people are more willing participants than others. I made a joke recently, the head chef in Leamington's um, an amazing chef called Charlotte, but she's super shy. I just have loads of pictures of the back of her head. So I just posted a picture of the back of her head and I was like, this is the back of Charlotte's head, everyone. <laughs> she's going to be involved whether she likes it or not, basically. It is And that's the sort of thing, that's that human element to the voice of your business little quirks like that which people relate to as being as how they operate you know is it's it's very much having that human voice so the second point you wanted to speak to is trust your people and it's very clear that from your processes in hiring you cut the bar but really explain to me how you get to that stage it started with writing job descriptions for the really key roles. And then I sit with that person with the job description and get them to choose the training that they want based off it. As in what on this aren't you confident with? What do you need my help with? And then we set sessions to train people around that stuff. So they've they've chosen their path of development effectively. And then once you've given them the training and the support, trust them to do it. They want the responsibility. They took the job, right? And if you've hired well, if you found the people that want to be there and that they're in, and if you found the people that are invested in the business, then just trust them and leave them to it. Or they will leave. People say people don't leave jobs, they leave bad, bad managers. And to me, a bad manager is someone that doesn't trust or micromanages, so to speak. So then your job as the owner or the line manager or whatever you want to call it, then becomes about guidance rather than constant management. When I say step back, I don't mean ignore them, but check in, guide, ask questions rather than have you done this, have you done this, have you done this all the time. It's a fine line between micromanaging and like you say, letting them their creative freedom and how they interpret the, the job role. But it's it's having that ability to understand that as an owner or a manager, you have that ability to go, I trust you, you run with it. Sure. And I think it's important for me to say as well, just uh, from a humility point of view, that I'm not perfect at this. I don't think anybody is. You know, when you care as much as we do about this business, it's really hard to step back sometimes. And I can see myself doing it, you know, and and there's still a lot of self-reflection there daily about how I conducted myself or how I came across with somebody. Um, And, you know, apologizing sometimes if you maybe haven't hit the mark quite right. Yeah. One of the things certainly I've always been aware of is is having that vulnerability, certainly as a leader. Like Brené Brown, she writes about so many, she's written multiple books about vulnerability and leadership. And people see that as then being, okay, this person doesn't think that they are the be all and end all. They don't know everything. It creates more of a connection then. Plus, you're then looking to your team members for for some of the answers. For sure, yeah. I mean, a lot of them know a lot more about stuff than I do. <laughs> and the final point you, final tip you wanted to convey is is surround yourself with people that are better than you. Oh, that segued beautifully, Unpack that one it? for us. 
um i mean for example george is a food genius and i hope he doesn't listen to this because we don't have that kind of relationship um, where i'm nice to him but um you know he leads a team of amazing chefs and i am genuinely in awe of them every day and the general managers assistant managers head baristas they're all better baristas than i am i consider myself a pretty good barista but they're all better than i am and not only does that make me want to be better which is great from a personal development point of view. Everyone always wants to be better and be improving, but it means that the business is never going to be limited by or dictated by my or your personal abilities. You know, you, there's, there's not going to be a ceiling of, well, this is, you got as far as what I knew and now that's it. Does that make sense? Well, I've always lived by, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in, you're the, in the wrong, wrong room. room. <clears throat> and it's, <laughs> you, you're right. It, it, it having the as soon as a business is limited by one person, it's 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 limited, isn't it? it? It's exactly that. You need to be tapping into the skills and abilities of these amazing people you have working with you to all together bring the business forward. And like I said, they they want to be listened to. You know, they want to feel fulfilled and that they've made a difference to something. And what is culture if not a group of people working together towards something. Yeah. So in terms of now your business, the next 12 months, what is in store for Warwick Street Kitchen, for St. Kitchen, obviously the new the new bakery? Where are they going to be in 12 months' time? Ha, well, <laughs> um, the, so yeah, end of 2021 saw us get the keys to a third site which will be our third cafe, but also a wholesale bakery. So we're currently refurbing and juggling everything that comes along with that. And what uh, one of our key values I mentioned is, is already to make everything on site, absolutely everything, 100% fresh kitchens. But this will enable us to centralise that um, and really push us to new new heights of all homemade goods um not only to service ourselves but also to service other like-minded businesses across the midlands other cool indies that we want to work with um and so hopefully in 12 months time no not hopefully in 12 months time we will be a functioning wholesale bakery as well as three independent cafes and whereabouts is that located it's going to be in warwick so it is um it's kind of down the road from leamington uh, because I mentioned we've got two key team members that we're stealing from other businesses, I I had to work that one. There were a couple of key places we were looking around because it worked for them geographically. And what sort of area will you be serving? I'm going to so say that, from a wholesale I, point of view. I'm going to say the Midlands because I don't want to be yeah. limited by mileage. We'll just get more vehicles and we'll start earlier in the day. Yeah. And if they're listening, if the bakers really? are listening now, they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> So in terms of how can how can people connect with you, certainly, especially businesses now in the Midlands, if they're looking for for this an artisan bakery that to survive supply their cafe, how can they get in touch with you? How can they find out more about what you guys do? So we're big into like the visual social medias because I think that um food and coffee is all about the visual. So um Instagram, we're Warwick Street Kitchen, Saint Kitchen. I'm on it personally as well if you want a bit more of like the day-to-day like operational stuff or what goes on behind the scenes. 
Um, but also I'd love to hear from you personally, whether it is just to reach out and talk about hospitality, because I could literally talk about it all day <laughs> or, or to talk about like any wholesale opportunities. Um, drop me an email. I'm Lydia at warwickstreetkitchen.com or Lydia at saintkitchen.com. Either will come to me. Um, that would be super cool. Listen, thank you so much. You have added so much value today and it's so great to, to, to speak to someone who is so empathetic and and vulnerable in terms of how they lead so listen anything else you want to unpack oh well no thank you for having me i'll stop there or i'll never stop but it's been super <laughs> fun thank you